Um, open up your Bibles to the book of John. If you don't have a Bible, uh, grab one or raise your hand. I'm sorry, we'll grab one and we'll bring it to you. And as you're opening up to the book of John, I want to remind you that uh, we are looking at this book as if uh, John is, is journaling, he's writing a bibliography of his view of Jesus, but it wasn't just him, it was God's Spirit working through him, it was a special part of his life, he had hung out with Jesus for three years, his heart, his words, his uh, memories are vivid and clear when you read through this scripture. And God's Spirit speaks to John and says, write this down. And you can just know the Spirit of God was working there. And as you wrote in a very eloquent and connecting manner as he pulled this together. And he writes with purpose. And we've talked about this. He writes, you know, we, we said there's three main reasons that he wrote this book. And they're on the screen that let us know that Jesus is the Son of God. And so that we may believe and that we will bear witness, that we'll tell others. So John introduces us to uh, the disciples of Jesus one at a time. First, we meet John the Baptist. John the Baptist points to Jesus as, look, the Lamb of God. And then we meet uh, Andrew and the author of this book, John. And we don't know him by name, but we figure out it's him. Andrew grabs his brother Peter, Simon Peter. And now they're all hanging out. And then they run into uh, Philip, and Philip is their friend, and their friend, he grabs Nathaniel. Next thing you know, we got five guys in Jesus. That sounds like pretty, that sounds like a good restaurant, doesn't it? Five guys in Jesus? I'd eat there, wouldn't you? So it's sort of exciting what's going on here, right? This is good stuff. So let's turn in your Bibles now to John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, and we'll, we'll move on from there, starting in verse 1. The next day, or the third day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebrations. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Verse 6. Standing nearby, six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars have been filled, he said, now dip some out, take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. Verse 9. When the master of ceremonies, which is the ruler of the feast, tested the water, tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, of course, the servants knew. He called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he gets out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Canaan Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed or manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, let's cover... Some simple facts here, okay? We'll, we'll just skim over it real first, and then we'll get into the depth of it, because we want to answer a few questions, the, the when, the where, and the what. Okay, it starts off with when. When does this take place? Now, some of your scriptures might read differently. It says on there maybe, and then a few days later, or it says the third day. Now, if you're counting, it seems like this could possibly be the fifth or sixth day, depending on where you started counting. We're talking about the first week of Jesus here with his disciples and when he met them all. Okay, and, But if you're counting from when John, when he first met John, it would be the third day. 
Now, let me ask you this. When I say third day, does anything come to your mind? Third day besides a music group, third day? What comes to your mind? Third day. He is risen. The resurrection. Yes, absolutely. We think of, you know, it's all Easter. It's, it's the third day he rose from the dead. So we sort of get this thought here. What's taking place? When is this taking place? Well, he says on the third day, but we know if you sort of want to go chronologically with the numbers, it might actually be the sixth day. But the third day right away takes us and triggers our thoughts to something new is going to happen. Just as the resurrection was new, so be it too that this is going to be something incredible. Where does this take place? It says it takes place at a wedding. It's a festive. It's a joyous occasion. It's in a small town of Canaan, Galilee, which is actually the hometown of Nathaniel, which is pretty awesome because remember when Jesus met Nathaniel last week, he was like, he meets Nathaniel, and Nathaniel walks up like, Nazareth, referring to Jesus. Anything good come from Nazareth? Let's knock on that small town, right? And Jesus is like, hey, let's go to your small town today. And they head over to Nathaniel's hometown. And that's where this is taking place. What's the problem in the story? We read that the, uh, the wedding party runs out of wine. Now, hospitality is a huge thing in biblical times. We'll get into more of this later, but to run out is basically an insult. Author Tom Wright says this, This would be considered a social disaster and disgrace. So there's the problem. So what's the solution? The solution is this. Jesus performs his first miracle in providing wine for this newly married couple. He looks with sympathy and kindness towards this young family, or this husband and wife, and uh, we don't even know their name. Who's the bride and the groom? We don't know. Their name isn't mentioned because I don't know if that really matters as to specifically who that is. It's who he did it for, and it's what he did in that moment. We need to remember something, too. Jesus and his disciples that are with him at this moment, they're following him because of what he has taught so far, because of who he is, all those titles, the Lamb of God, the Light, the Son of God, all those titles in chapter 1, the disciples are following for this reason. He's the Messiah. He's not performed one miracle yet. They're not following him for show. They're following him for truth and who they believe he is. And now from here on, John chapter 2, you're going to see what he can do. And it's going to be amazing. So let's look at first one and we'll get a little bit more in depth with each verse. The next day or the third day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of the Cana Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Weddings were week-long celebrations. So listen carefully. If you're a coach, um, a teacher, somebody who's always getting all these wedding invitations, you're probably not going to be able to work. Because every week... You know, you're not giving up the weekends. You're giving up a week, and you are celebrating with that couple. It's a week-long celebration. Everybody in town comes to refuse to go is an insult, so you're going to have to go. How many of you in here? No, I'm not going to make you do this. I was going to ask you, how many of you in here love a good wedding? I'm going to assume the lady's like, oh, yes, yes, I love them. They make me cry. They're so good. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right? Guys, we love a good Reception, yes, good answer. Okay, a lot of good food, right? Well, when I think about this, you know, with a wedding, I, actually, I once heard this uh, story about a pastor. He was, he was planning a wedding in the morning services, and after the benediction, he planned to, to call uh, the couple down that was going to be married for just a, a brief ceremony before the congregation. 
but he couldn't remember the couple's names. He hadn't written it down, and, and he just drew a blank. So he simply stated this. He said, Will those wanting to get married please come to the front? And after he said that, immediately nine single ladies, three widows, four widowers, and a couple single men moved up to the front, right? Yeah, not what he expected, not what he had in mind, right? I mean, again, the whole thought of weddings, right? Well, picture this. Five guys, the disciples, and Jesus, they're walking along. They're heading towards Cana. And maybe one of them, we don't know the conversation, but what if one of them says, hey, where are we going? And Jesus is like, we're going to a wedding. What are you thinking right now with these five guys? Peter's, because Peter's always the boisterous one, right? Peter's probably like, oh, I'd rather be fishing. Andrew's like, I'm with you, brother, right? And then, and then maybe some hitting of elbows and all that kind of, yeah, yeah. Or maybe because, again, going back to culture at the time, the wedding was a joyous celebration and everybody wanted to go and they would go. We don't know, but we do know this. They were on their way because they were invited. Scripture tells us right there that they had an invitation now, why does that matter? Because I think a lot of people are like, Jesus got invited to a wedding? Wait a minute, I thought Christians were boring. I thought Christians didn't like the party. I thought we weren't allowed to laugh. I thought we had to have sour looks on our faces, like we've got indigestion or something, like something bad's going on, like, oh, I love Jesus. I don't know. Um, but So I think it's important when we look at this to understand he was invited. We want him to come to our party. We want him to come to our celebration. Now, we understand this, that this wasn't a compromise. Like, I'm going to go to a place where there's drunkenness and adultery and obscenities going on. I think we understand this. We would obviously agree that we don't engage in that kind of behavior as Christians. And there are some environments that, obviously, as Christians, we should avoid. No doubt about it. But in this situation with a wedding... This is special. He's got an invitation, and he's going to go. And let's remember this. What's at a wedding? People. People matter to God, right? Jesus Christ came here to save mankind. So he went where the people were. And this day, it happened to be a wedding. Now, again, for some of us, the whole thing of dressing up and going somewhere can be a chore. And and, and some of us... And, and I'm not just going to throw the men under the bus here, okay? There might be some ladies in here, too. It's like, oh, i got to go there, okay? But, again, for me personally, invitation to go somewhere, all right, we'll go. I, and somebody's like, are you excited? It's like, not really. I'm, I'm going. I'll go. And now you're all like, I'm not going to invite him to my party. Okay, sorry. If it's from any of you in here, I'm, all, I'm, I'm stoked. Okay, so anyway. Some of us don't enjoy dressing up going, right? So maybe this is what you need to pray, maybe what I need to pray, and that is this. Lord, your ministry began at a wedding. People matter to you. So God, change my heart. Allow me to see this moment as an opportunity to love others. Maybe that's what we need to pray before we go to somewhere that we, maybe we really don't want to go to. Okay? Jesus never considered it a crime to be joyous. We might picture him as being all serious all the time, but maybe the picture up on the screen right now reminds you that, you know, you just sort of see that smile on his face with kids, that he loved being around people. He loved children. He loved others. One of the fruits of the Spirit is, is what? Joy. Right in the middle. Love, joy, peace, kindness. 
That is one of the fruits that the Spirit gives us. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, He gives us His Holy Spirit, and His Holy Spirit gives us these things, and they grow within us. And if they're growing within us, they should come out of us as well. Remember, happiness is just that external stuff that's going on around us, like a ball game or maybe a car or material things. Those things come and go. Those are external. Joy is internal. It's given to us by God, and He wants us to be joyful. Understand this. Our witness can sweeten or sour people. You want to you try telling somebody about Jesus Christ and you're all sour-faced? I'm sorry, but if you look like you're having a bad time and you're, and you're hanging out with some guy named Jesus and you, you look like you're miserable, I don't want that. But the joy in your face, the change in your life, the expression that this matters, I want to know more about that. Look at verse 3. The wine supply ran out during the festivity, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Now here comes the problem. It runs out, right? Again, humiliation, disgrace. Let those words ring in your ears, okay? They're about ready to come upon this young people, this young couple, okay? This is not how you want to start off your newly married life. Brides, ladies, you think about what is the worst thing that could go wrong at your wedding, right? Somebody gets sick. Somebody faints. Somebody's late. The flowers catch on fire. I've seen it. It's happened, okay? A cell phone goes off in a ceremony. All those things could go wrong. And in our wedding, um, I can't remember everything that went wrong, but I know that one moment when I was getting ready to say my vows to Jenny, the pastor said, repeat after me, I, Rex, take you, Jenny, to be a lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, and so forth and so on. He kept going. He never stopped. And I'm like, and he kept going. I'm like, I don't know what to say. Uh, and he, he stopped, and the other pastor like, oh, well, let's start all over again. It's like, okay, that was the worst of it that I can remember. I don't know if Jenny remembers anything else, but I think that was, maybe that was just bad for me. But, but anything can go wrong at a wedding, right? But in this situation here, biblical times, to run out of wine was, was a catastrophe. It represented joy. The rabbis, the rabbis said this, without wine, there is no joy. Understand, this was, this was not grape juice. This was wine. Most authors would agree that the wine back then was probably two parts wine, three parts water. We also know that during this time, it was understood that drunkenness was a disgrace. So regardless of the mixture or the amount, the fact that wine was there mattered. The first public miracle was dealing with this. And here's the thing. It wasn't dealing with somebody who is dying, an, an injury, somebody who's lame, blind, some uh, storm. It was about saving a reputation, not a life. And I think that speaks volumes to where Jesus was starting off. And it's, it's this, you know, if it matters to you, it matters to God. But he's not just the God of big things, but God is the God of the small things in your life too. He cares about the details, big and small. And here's what else we read from that verse, is that the mother of Jesus was there. Oh, Now, we don't know what her part was, but we believe she had some kind of role because she was either planning or helping because she was the one that knew the supply and demand that was going on. She knew that the wine was running out, they were in trouble, and she goes to Jesus. Now, typically, moms are the ones that step in and save the day, right? Super moms. You all know who you are, right? But what does she do here in this situation? She doesn't try to solve the problem herself. She does what? She goes to Jesus. 
She knew the right person to go to. She didn't know what Jesus would or could do. She just knew who she had to go to. And Jesus had no obligation in this situation. Nope, he didn't have to. He didn't have to do anything. But for her, it was like a simple prayer. She goes to Jesus, and this is her prayer. They have no more wine. That was it. Some of us, maybe we think we need to pray eloquently and we need to pray for hours, but I'm going to tell you right now, your prayers can be really simple, church. Your prayer might be as simple as, God, my son is sick. Heavenly Father, my family's falling apart. My wife, is, uh, my, my, my marriage is in the rocks. Our finances are running low. See, God is an all-knowing, he's an all-powerful God. He knows us. Do you really think we need to go into this extended detail and explain to him everything that's going on and how he should handle it? If you've ever had a surgery or somebody that's been in surgery, you and I know we go to the waiting room and we wait for the surgeon to be done. None of us step into the operating room and we say, you know, I think you ought to put the, uh, the clamp over there instead. And, and that scalpel, I wouldn't use that one. Use the bigger one right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And none of us would do that, would we? We're not qualified. I'm not qualified. And neither am I qualified to step into the throne room of heaven and tell God how to answer my prayers. But I am qualified and you are qualified to share your prayers with him. And he wants to hear them. Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 then comes uh, as a a verse that you might sit there and say, did he just say that? He goes, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. Now when you first read this, it's like, like if you can almost say it with an edge, like, hey woman, that's not my problem. (laughs) Sounds like attitude, doesn't it? Now, this is where we got to make sure we read it correctly. Woman, that is not my problem. No, I'm just kidding. The woman, the phrase woman here in this section here is translated, could be translated in a special term of endearment. It meant like lady. Jesus was super respectful to his mom, okay? When we see that woman, it's read entirely different and culturally different than what we would look at it today, possibly. It was a very respectful lady, as he went on to say, that's not my problem. My time has not yet come. What Jesus is saying here is, is really this. God's got this. You are not going to solve the problem. These disciples are not going to solve the problem. But this is going to be a God thing. My time has not yet come to reveal myself in such an incredible way that people are going to want to take me to the cross too quick, Okay. So he had a plan for how this was all going to go down, and he very respectfully tells his mom, this is going to happen, but this situation that's going to happen, okay, we're not going to manipulate God on this one. He's got the answer figured out. We're just going to trust him on this one. So it may have been confusing to us and Mary, but Jesus knew exactly what's going on here. And the thing is, after him saying this, do you think he's going to follow through? Do you continue to believe him when he gives that response that may be confusing to you and me? Are you still going to trust him for an answer when it's like, I have no idea what God means by this? Will you still trust him? Mary did. Because we see what Mary does, does next. She doesn't run. She doesn't run. I love this. She doesn't run to the next town to look for wine. She doesn't skate around from house to house. Hey, I need this. I need this. Right? So our, our son came home yesterday from college, one of them, uh, to surprise us. We didn't know he was coming. Matter of fact, we weren't even home. He called us or texted Jenny. He's like, 
uh, where are you guys at? I'm here to surprise you. <laughs> well, surprise, we're not there either. Um, we'll see you in a couple hours. Um, and then it was a great reunion. We got to see him. And, and then in the middle of the night, it hit me. It's like, oh, no route of milk. The milk in the fridge has February 6th. What's today? 10th? Yeah, no good. Okay. So um, I'm thinking, oh, we need milk um, and maybe some donuts or something. I know we got Fruit Loops. That should be good. But I know I'm trying to think what he would like. And so it's like, so I, I get up this morning with no milk. I grabbed a gallon of water and I turned it into Water, yeah, because I'm not Jesus, okay? I'm not Jesus. Now, I, w- I will share something funny, and again, this is how God makes us laugh, okay? This past week, I was carrying a blessings box around. We were storing it away in the, in the office, and at the preschool, one of the little boys saw me walking with the box, and he said, hey, what's Jesus carrying? <laughs> I'm thinking, like, oh, God's going to humble me big time this week for that one. I know he is. Um, and I just sort of chuckled and laughed. as like, I am not Jesus, okay? Not even, not even close. But love your, love you, son. I have no idea you know, if you're adoptable, but I might adopt. But anyway, so in this situation, again, she, um, I don't even know where I was going with this. Oh, yeah, wait, so she's, our, our solutions, me trying to do stuff didn't matter. She went right to the source. She went right to Jesus and saying, you've got this. She had no clue what he's going to do. I could go to Chief this morning and get a gallon of milk, which I ended up doing. That was easy. That was convenient. They didn't have this back then. They're in trouble. So let's look at verse 5. But his mother told his servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Okay. What is it that he's going to tell us? We have no clue. But she learned this. Mary learned this from when she was first pregnant. And the angel of the Lord came to her. And she's like, I'm your servant. I will do whatever. Right? And she's now continued to do this as a mom. She's still like... Whatever he says, whatever he says, I'll do it because I'm going to follow what God says. Look at verse 6. So standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each one could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Now the people um, had rules and laws. And these jars sat by the doors and they would wash and cleanse themselves because they felt the world defiled them. So they would have to ceremonially wash and cleanse themselves before they would eat and do other things. So that's what these jars, they held the water for that. Now the jars were empty, however. And Jesus is like, he goes, gets the servants, he goes, take those six jars. They hold 20 to 30 gallons. So we're talking about 180 gallons here of, of water. Take them and fill them. They take them, they fill them to the brim. They fill them to the top. Not knowing what was going to happen, right? We already know what's going to happen. They do not know what's going to happen. That's what you got to keep in mind when you think about what the servants are thinking at this point in time. And what I love about this too is those six jars, 180 gallons, that was plenty. Matter of fact, it was too much. Keep that in mind. When we are lacking, when we are empty, God says, I'm not just going to take what is here to meet your need. I'm going above and beyond. Jesus Christ said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give life and give it what? Abundantly, much more, exceedingly. Let's look at verse 7. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars have been filled, he said, now dip some out, take it to the master's ceremony. So the servants followed his instructions. Oh, can you imagine this? So they take those jars, they go fill them up, they see the water that's going in. And he says, then dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies, the ruler of the feast, and let him have a drink. What's going on in these servants' mind? They're probably thinking, we're going to fill it up with water, and then we're going to give him a drink of water. And then he's going to spit it out and laugh at us, right? 
That's probably what we're, we're thinking of what's going on. And I love it. They didn't argue either. They didn't like, why should we? Do we have to? They didn't argue, right? They just obediently did what Jesus asked them to do. So let's look at then in verse 9. What happens? When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everything, everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept what? The best until now. I love this. Uninformed of the, of the source of uh, the wine, the master ceremony makes a, a gesture and saying this, this was the best. He had no clue where it came from. All he knew was it was the best. And I'm saying this, when Jesus gives something to you, it's always the best. What he has to offer us is the best. He created life. Why do we doubt what God has to offer? Instead of we want to choose the world because we think the things of this world are better for us, but yet they leave us what? Empty. Like those jars before they were filled. When Jesus comes into our life, he brings something new and exciting. He brings a new quality. Without life or without Jesus, life is dull. It's stale. It's flat. With Jesus, it's exhilarating. It's bubbly. It's, it's sparkling. It's exciting. I remember going out of the airport in the state of Washington. This was about 20 years ago. I was flying from Washington back here to Ohio. And I'm in the airport, and there's a young lady. And she is sitting there, and, um, and a young teenage girl. And I'm a youth pastor. And then she's, like, looking bored. And it's like, hey, where are you going? Hey, where are you going? And then she goes, well, I'm going to Iowa. I was like, oh, that sounds fun. What are you going to do there? She goes, I'm going to go hang out with my cousin. All she does is read the Bible. She is so boring. And I'm thinking, oh, now, while she's saying that, this is what's going on in my mind. I've been at an Indian Cherokee reservation with a youth group, sharing the word of God. I've seen all kinds of things that summer, been to different places. I was just flying back from Washington with, a, with our youth group. We had climbed Mount Rainier, and while we were up on Mount Rainier, we actually had our rain gear. We took our rain gear all out of our backpacks, put them on. We made like a human toboggan. We took legs around each other, and there was about eight of us, right? And so... We, you walk up through the Mount Rainier, you're going through snow. I mean, there's no, you get above vegetation. You're above the vegetation line. So then you get in these snow caps, and it's like mashed potatoes because of the, the sun and the, the altitude. You take two steps forward, it's like one step back. Well, you walk in a straight line as much as you can, and everybody follows behind. Otherwise, it would be so hard to get through that snow, right? So we get up to where we are going, our hike. Uh, up to our camp or the, the, the spot we were heading to. And it was time to go down. We took that gear off and um, we actually sat in that gear in that trail and we created a human toboggan and we went so fast down there that that's all I need to tell you, okay? That's, we're going to stop right there. I'll just say this. It was fun. No doubt about it. There's all kinds of things that we did on that event or that those trips. And I'm she's saying... Christianity is born. I'm thinking about this. I baptized a kid in the Colorado River, and, and I'd seen all these things take place that summer. That I'm just amazed. I'm going, the first thing I wanted to look at her was like, you're wrong. It is not boring being a Christian. There's so much joy in having Christ in your life. That's all that could go through my mind. What Jesus brings to our life, church, is fresh. It's new. And if you're bored, then you've not met Jesus yet. He's not like I have. And not like a lot of other people have. Look at verse 11. 
wrap this up. The miraculous sign of Canaan Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I love it. It concludes with that his disciples believed in him. And just a day earlier, Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And what did Jesus tell Nathaniel? Oh, you're going to see greater things than this. Oh, and 24 hours later, he did. He did exactly that. The disciples believed in him. They trusted him. They believed in him before he even did a miracle. But now that they see it, now even more so do they believe. They were eyewitnesses to what Jesus did. And that event grabbed them. They placed their faith in their, not in their lives, but in the life of Jesus Christ. And they followed him. So my question is this. What about us? Will we allow this miracle and the signs and the things that, that he has done to grab hold of us? When Jesus wants to teach us something new, are we ready to listen? Are you still skeptical about what God can do? He took water, simple molecules. He changed them to wine. He is the God of the universe that created everything, the structure of everything, from the molecules to atoms to gravity, all the different laws of nature. If he wants to suspend any of those to do a miracle, I think he knows how. Amen? There's a difference between saying, oh, I think I believe in him, and saying, I believe in him. When's the last time you thank God for keeping us in orbit? When's the last time you thank God for gravity? What is God doing in your life on a daily basis? Be wowed by it. Throw this quote up here. Mark Batterson said this. We don't appreciate the miracles of God consistently, does day in and day out. Forgive me for phrasing it this way, but the problem with God is that God is so good at what he does that we take it for granted. Isn't that true? He is so good. We don't even realize that everyday miracles taking place around us. Not the worship team. Come on forward. So what do we learn? Let me throw these at you real quick. First of all, God is not a killjoy. He wants to have fun. He has come to give life and give it abundantly. And if we're going to point people to Jesus, we need to be around people and tell them who Jesus is and show them a picture of heaven that's good. In times of need, who do you go to first? Mary went right to Jesus. Do we? What does he tell you? How are you with the area of obedience? When he tells you, go take those water jars and film. When he tells you, go do this in your life. Are you obedient to that? When Jesus enters your life, he brings something new. He brings something exhilarating, something exciting. Have you tasted that new life and what it means to celebrate with him? Finally, stand in all of what he did, believe in him. He's the real deal. He is the real deal. But church, even more personally, so to say, in your life, he wants to do something new. I really believe that. When I look at this story and I, I think about third the third day and I think about the emptiness and I think about him feeling, I think about the joy expressed. I'm sitting there going, that's what he wants in our lives. Some of us are pretty empty right now. We've been chasing the wrong things and we keep ending up feeling even more empty. 
Some of us feel shameful for choices we've made. We feel dishonored. We feel humiliated because of things that have happened to us or things we've done to other people and just flat out humiliated. Some of us feel like there are certain days we feel we're just pretty much helpless and hopeless. What we're saying is we're almost like those empty jars. Empty. What do you need Jesus to do in your life today? What does he need to change? Maybe you're empty. Maybe he just, first of all, needs to fill you up. And maybe you say, I feel like I'm full, but he says, but I need to change you. You're just plain old water. Let me turn you into wine. One of the most poisonous of all Satan's lies is simply this. Things will never change. That is a lie. That lie kills expectation. It traps our hearts forever in the past. Life will not always be like this, right? Jesus has promised to make all things new. Just as he did here. Do you trust him to do that, church? Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, Lord, and just say, fill us. For those of us in this room that feel empty, fill us, Lord, with your spirit. Lord, we've, if we've not, we need to confess our sins to you and ask for forgiveness. Remove those sins out of our life and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, take the emptiness that we're tasting right now, the emptiness of chasing certain dreams that are just not happening or feeling hopeless or helpless, feeling so empty and depressed. God, remove that and fill us with your spirit. Make our life new. Let us taste and see you are God. And when we do, let it be like that wedding celebration. Let it be joyful. Because this is a new life for that bride and groom. They're starting life all new together. Lord, let that be our, our call for today, our cry for today. We, we want that celebration. We want the joy in our faces. We want people to know, man, that person's different. What's so different about you? I know Jesus. He's changed me. He's filled me up. God is good. We love you, Lord. We want to sing to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.